A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, before we get the show started, I wanted to let you know we are giving away a bunch of brand new Black Magic gear. Yeah, cameras, switchers, DaVinci Resolve licenses, a bunch of awesome stuff. So stay tuned to learn how you can enter to win free gear from Black Magic, and we're going to tell you all about it later on in this episode. Now, cue the music. Hey, welcome to the 174th episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. I'm Matt Enlow. And I'm Warren Kaplan, and today we've got our live show. We are super excited. We might say this every time, but I think this was the the best live show we've had so far. They keep getting better. And because it was a live show and patrons got in for free, we magically got a bunch of new patrons. Look at that. Our plan worked. Uh, All right, so here we go. We're going to shout out a ton of people who all helped make the show possible, starting with... Thanks to Alex Schwartz. Tim Johnson. Kyle Hamna. Sophie Niesenbaum. The folks at Making Movies is Hard. What up, Alric? Raul Guerrero. Ant Fallon. Max Fogno. Jonathan Kirk. Glenn. And Camry Fox. Hey, thanks, everybody. Our listeners have some pretty some pretty cool names, right? Yeah, pretty excellent. Someone pretty named excellent. Ant. Is that short for Antony? Yeah, I wonder. Camry Fox. How cool is that? That's a good one. Anyway, thank you, everyone, for being a patron. Uh, we love the support. Yeah, uh, this is a super fun episode. Indie producers Liz Cardenas, Jana Winternitz, and Mary Pat Bentel are an awesome panel. They represent a cut. Like an awesome cross-section of producers. Exactly, yeah. So um, we've got people who are a little more indie, a little more seasoned, uh, coming at it from the digital realm. There's all sorts of people happening. But they've all produced awesome movies uh, and even a little bit of TV. And we just had this awesome conversation with them, and I felt like... The whole event was just so fun. Everyone stayed so late. Good good vibes, man. The venue was awesome. Rita House. Thank you, Rita House and Sarah Moss there. We had sponsors. Just like kind of just a overall good experience. And we're going to do it again. We're going to do, we're we're going for a Halloween show. Yeah. Trying to get a bunch of genre filmmakers on and it will be cool. Yeah. It was such a good time that we thought, oh, well, we should just get the ball rolling immediately so that people have a little bit more time to plan. We have a little bit more time to get the word out. And so we're looking at a late October genre filmmaker Halloween theme. Yeah. And if you want to get in for free, become a patron, patreon.com slash just shoot a pod. Or don't. Or did I tell you? uh, So we had this awesome panel. Everybody was hanging out afterwards. We met this awesome guy. Um, Our friend Nick, he was like, hey, I'd love to PA for you. 
this last weekend we shot together and he's already got a new job from it because oh, really? of, because of how awesome he was what's the the part of the story you're leaving out is you saying to him you know we're never really in a sit in a position to recommend pas to get hired as directors it's just like more producer coordinator thing and sure, then of sure. course you got him hired like two days like in. immediately yeah uh, um, and he killed it so it was really nice i feel like we have an awesome track record of um when we get to know listeners like Andy Young, killing it. They yeah. get scooped up so fast. I, I, I don't know a more humble way to say this, but if you've gotten to the level where you're listening to our podcast regularly, you clearly are invested in listening to the nitty gritty of you know how sure. filmmaking is You're taking done. things seriously. Yeah, you're yeah. interested enough to spend an hour and a half once a week sure. <laughs> listening to us drone on about this stuff. Otherwise, it would be boring. Yeah. Yeah, and so I... I that's why I think most of our listeners, at least our regular listeners, would probably be pretty good crew members. Well, so far, making us proud, making us look good. Um, so that's the sort of stuff that happens at a Just Shoot It live show. Yeah, let's stop wasting your time. Let's get into the show. Let's get to it. Oh, um, and also before we go, uh, we did a great Q&A session afterwards as well. That'll be a bonus episode in a couple of days. Before we get to the rest of our show, we wanted to talk to Zach Lepofsky for a second. He's a filmmaker that created an app called Shotlister, and he's with us right now. And we're going to talk a little bit about the app. One of the cool things about it is it lets you color code your shots throughout the day as you're shooting, red or green, to indicate what you've already finished and kind of give you a bird's eye view of the project. Can you tell us a little bit more about the color coding and why you think it's a helpful feature? Yeah, I mean, basically, when you build your shot list, you can then build sort of a shooting schedule where you put in all the shots you want to get in the order and how long you estimate each one's going to take. Uh, and hopefully that adds up to 12 hours if you're doing a 12 hour day or whatever. And then when you're actually shooting, it goes into something called live mode, where it knows what time it is. It knows how many shots you've actually done already. And it can add up for you <laughs> all the shots that are left and say, geez, uh, hmm. There's about 45 minutes more shots here than you have time to do. And it tells you you're 45 minutes behind. And when that's the case, the whole app glows red. <laughs> and the crew can see that when it's in your hand. And Does it start beeping? Does it, it doesn't beep. We've definitely been requested. Can it glow yellow when we're just a little bit behind? Does it have to really go red? <laughs> and often, you know, 90% of the time it's glowing red. If anyone's been on set, they know. Yeah. Is there like a shock collar accessory that you guys sell in case it's in the red for too long? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we've had a lot of requests for that, yeah, but uh, unfortunately, um, you know, uh, PETA hasn't let us do that. But, you know, people start knowing. They say, are we in the green? Are we in the red? And um, and it can be really helpful because you can then readjust all the shots, you know, and all your estimates based on how things have changed and then get it back on schedule. So you can move the important stuff, you know, up in the shot list and maybe get rid of or combine shots that you actually realize you don't need because often when you're shooting a scene you realize you don't need that coverage or a second unit can get those close-ups later and then you can get the schedule back to green basically usually you do that at lunch when you're in a mad panic uh and then sync it with the whole crew and show them the new plan so the color coding ends up being really helpful for that i have an idea for a feature it's called time decoy mode and it just <laughs> always basically puts you half an hour behind so that you uh, hopefully finish yeah. on time well, you definitely don't want to let the crew know that you're an hour ahead of schedule because then they all start relaxing. That's right. really why you need the yellow mode. It's not for red. <laughs> it's for when you're like green-ish, basically. 
Yeah. Well, I think there's a healthy there's a healthy energy that comes from being in the red. You know, it right. really kicks your butt. You don't want to be too calm. That's awesome. I'm, I wanted to get it, but I can't afford it at this point. I was just wondering, is there like some freeway that I could get it? Yes. For any people out there, we're actually going to give away the app to anyone who emails justshootitpod at shotlister.com. We're giving away 50 codes a month, every month, forever. So if you need a free copy, just email justshootitpod at shotlister.com and we'll send you one. So every month forever. <laughs> yeah, as long as this podcast is listenable by human beings. Well, that's arguable at this point anyway. <laughs> and Zach, what should listeners that want a free copy of Shotlister write to you in that email? Just a blank email? They could put what platform they want because we have Mac OS, iOS, Android. Um, so let us know which one of those you want. And then assuming we haven't given away 50 that month, we'll send you a, a free code. But then you can always email the month after that. Awesome. Well, cool. Thanks so much. We are excited to check it out. And uh, to our listeners, if you do get a free copy of it, please email us at justshootapod at gmail.com and let us know what you think. And if you have any feature recommendations, let me know and I will tell you how cool I think they are. Yeah. Uh, if you are listening to this podcast, even months from now, even years from now, Email justshootitpod at shotlister.com for your free copy of Shotlister. Okay, enjoy the show. Um, yeah, and today we have an awesome panel. Let's start on the end. We got Liz Cardenas. She's a 2019 Independent Spirit Award nominee and has been a producer on eight feature films. Her recent credits include Augustine Frizzell's Never Going Back, which was at Sundance. A Ghost Story, also at Sundance. Augustine, previous guest. Yeah, previous guest. She also just directed uh, the pilot of Euphoria, which is like one of my favorite new shows. Um, both those movies were released by A24, and uh, they received a ton of awards. She considers Texas her home base, where she was raised by her Hispanic father who grew up in Mexico City, and her Irish-American mother who grew up in Irish America. Uh, next we've got uh, Jana Winternitz Hello everybody uh, Jana grew up on a farm with seven VHS's in the house This That's is uh, the, videos or uh, players? This is the videos Oh, okay. yeah, yes. like, like the tape decks the So, tape, you, so yeah. you could like copy So I've only seen seven VHS's Oh, <laughs> VHS's not VCR's I yeah. thought you guys were like good at like pirating oh, TV. No, no, no. It's like you start watching Dr. Doolittle. I didn't grow up watching movies, which is yeah, sure, funny sure, sure. why I'm here. Yeah. Wait, well, hold on. Just to go off book immediately, wh- what were the seven <laughs> movies that you owned? There was, let's see if I can remember it. There was a, a Tom Hanks three-pack. Uh-huh. I think I had a <laughs> Splash, sure. Big, and The Man with One Red Shoe. Mm-hmm. I had some uh, animal films in there. Uh, I think there was a Milo and Otis. Sure, um, yeah. 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 I think I had Anne of Green Gables. Uh, sure. You get the idea. So, yeah, yeah, great, yeah, yeah. The classics. Yeah. The real qu- yeah. McDonald's would sell VHS tapes for a while. So I had Dances with they? Wolves because of McDonald's. I had Dances with Wolves, but couldn't watch it. That was uh, in the sure. other bit. There you go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> gotcha. Well, besides uh, having uh, seven movies, she, <laughs> she also produced her first feature, uh, You Friends, while still attending undergrad at Chapman, which is pretty awesome. Um, she went on to serve as a creative exec over at Maker Studios. Uh, where she met our friend Mike Gallagher, who's right there. What up? Um, <laughs> and, and made internet famous The Thinning, The Thinning New World Order, and also Funny Story. It's available on VOD. Get it now, guys. Um, and also uh, 70 other projects, including commercials, music videos, short films, a ton of work, basically. Finally, we have Mary Pat Bentel. Mary Pat is her first name, in case you're wondering. 
Uh, she's an L.A.-based independent film producer known for Amateur Night starring Jason Biggs, The Lies starring Josh Leonard and Jess Wexler, The Midnight Swim, which was directed by our past multi-guest, Sarah Adina show. Smith, yeah, yeah, who just directed the pilot for Hannah uh, at Amazon. Um, and uh, she also produced Animals starring David D. And Austin Found starring Linda Cardellini and Skeet Ulrich. Mary Pat also produced This Close for the Sundance Channel, which uh, stars and created Shoshana Stern, who was a, a deaf actress that I worked with on my movie, The Hammer. Small world. Still available on iTunes. <laughs> um, Round of applause. One more time for our panel. Right. Awesome. So um, we're so excited to have you three here. You're all three producers, right? Um, but I think everyone in this room knows that being a producer is kind of a different job for uh, every single project in a certain sense, right? So, right. like, if someone says they're an associate producer, you pretty much don't think they work on the movie, right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> Co-producer, eh? Same sees. Okay. Okay. So, so three capital P producers, then, huh? Right. But the uh, producer credit is like the thing, right? Like the the producer has the producer credit. The, the movie wouldn't exist without the capital P producer. That's how I like to see it. It's, you generate the, the project. You see it through Killer. from beginning to end. Yes. Yeah. So the other interesting thing about the three of you is that I feel like you all kind of represent a different style of, uh, or type of movie, right? So Mary Pat, like I said before, you're like a little more maybe talent-oriented, right? Like... Um, there's some there's some fancy names in there. No, no, you don't. Think yeah, so? I mean, I think I've been lucky enough to work with a lot of uh, established casts, mm -hmm. um, but uh, I don't know that I'm out seeking that thing. Um, I, I focus mostly on uh, drama, comedy, and dramedy. Like that's sure. really it's more like a genre thing for me, and like whatever speaks to me at different points in my life and. But yeah, I guess I've worked with a few celebrities. A few, a few fancy people. You're Jason Biggs and Linda Cardellini's of the world. And Marissa Tomei. Yeah, Marissa Tomei, sure. And Tomei, I could keep going. Yeah, no, of course, of I course. Don't. Exactly. So, but, just so people, more people. traditional talent, I guess is what I'm saying. Whereas, sure, yeah, absolutely. Jana, you kind of came in at, at it from the, a more digital perspective, right? Like a lot of uh, quote-unquote influencers, right? A lot of like digital homegrown people that kind of grew up into bigger and better things or, or different, more traditional things, I should say. Yeah, I mean, I went kind of the traditional route as far as I went to film school. I went to Chapman University. Um, but the time that I entered the business, uh, the business is always changing, and that moment in time, that's sure. what was getting funded. Um, so you kind of assess where the business is at, and you try and get your movie made however you can. So sure, sure. there we are. <laughs> And then Liz, I, I would call you maybe a little more traditional, like indie, right? Like I think you look at, especially like you know, a ghost story or um, never going never back. Go back, going back. Pardon me. Thank you. Those are both kind of like classic festival sort of plays, basically. Yeah, I think um, with me, I started making films, and then I specifically sought out like really talented directors and filmmakers who were having films at Sundance and Good South thing you're by, here. and wanted to work with them and like learn from them and so a lot of the relationships have been based from that like from both the film festival world and then specifically looking at filmmakers that I could work with and like learn from cool well so Mary Pat what's like on that note what excites you about a project that makes you want to produce it like what are some things I mean, I think it always comes down to the material and just having like a visceral reaction upon reading it for the first time and then I'm often sucked in by the director. 
Um, and often it's the same. Per- I work with a lot of writer directors. That's really been my jam before I moved into television, which I've been doing for the last two years. Um, that and having a baby, and now I'm kind of resurfacing and and reevaluating. But I think for me, it's just um, I want to see myself, some form of myself, in the stuff that I produce. Um, and it can be like a tiny sliver, but it's just um, you know I. I think that we're, um, we're at a time where everyone's like focused on diversity and representation and all of those things obviously speak to me, but there is a part of me that at the end of the day when I turn on a TV show or a movie, I just want to see some piece of my life reflected in some way. And so um, that's sort of how I base my decisions on the projects I'm working on. Um, and. And then I sit down with the director, and if I love him or her, then I'm usually pretty hooked. I have to believe that they have like the talent and the vision, and very much like Liz, like it's so imperative that they are going to teach me something. Because at this point, to be honest, you can produce in your sleep. So the thing that gets you like out of bed in the morning, gets you excited about doing something, is is the idea of like the creative magic that will happen in the making of a movie, right? So. Um, it really just comes down to like the script and is it something I'm going to be excited that I left behind and is the director someone who I, I want to go into battle with. So have you been, have you had projects where you absolutely loved the material and the director Was bored an you? Was 100%. And you make those or you don't make those? Made a few. <laughs> what about you two? I have actually politely stepped off a couple movies because you get uh, a little bit down the line and you realize that you're trying to make different movies and I, uh, you have to trust your gut in those situations. It's only going to get you know, further down the line as you go. So, And signing on to make a movie, you are committing to multiple years of your life protecting, shepherding this project and this group of people to make something with a singular vision. So you really have to kind of all be on the same page from day one. I think that's super important. But for me, picking a project, it's I try and think like five, ten years ahead, and it kind of ask myself that question: Am I gonna regret not making this? Um, that's how I kind of make my decisions. And do you? I just want to ask follow up on that uh, idea of you feeling like you want to make a different movie than the director. Does that also apply to like a writer director? Like, is it? Is, does that happen where both the script and the way it's being made are totally different than what you expected? Generally not. I With writer-directors, I'll be pretty um, hands-on from like day one, even from like the inception of the idea, and kind of walk the script along. Um, so I'll be pretty dialed in with that. But this is more if I'm coming onto a project that um, is either just a script or a writer-director that I'm just now meeting. So Cool. Um, Let's flip the script a little bit. What makes the three of you like a director? Like, why do you want to continue to work with people? Because all three of you, I think, have, like, great relationships with the directors that you like to work with. I mean, I think, like you were saying, like, the fact that they have a vision, you want them definitely to be, have an opinion and be, like, they really see the world, but you also want them to be, like, collaborative. It's, like, so important that when you were talking about, like, that the magic that gets created in movie making, that's you know one of the reasons why I do it. It's like, I love that. And you would never be able to have a film turn out the way it did 
if not everyone kind of contributed. And so, you know, again, we talked about the fact that there's different types of producers. You know, I think all of us consider ourselves creative producers, which means we handle logistical things, but we're also shepherding projects creatively. And so the reason we're doing this is because we're investing our heart, our soul, our sweat and tears and everything. And so when you have that collaborative spirit with the writer director and that you're all kind of as a team, that's what what I really enjoy, and th that's what I really respond to with like the other like directors and writers that I'm working with. And just to follow up, though, uh, early on when you're first kind of making that assessment of whether or not you want to be collaborating with a person, what are some of those early things, right? Like obviously, when you're in the trenches, you know when things are clicking, right? But like when you're first in that dating phase, right? Like, how, what are early indicators where you're like, oh, this is going to work? Initial conversations over the script. I think that's like a first thing. You can easily feel right away when you're like talking openly about the script if you instantly get like resistance or if it's like, it's not that they have to be like, oh yeah, I want to change it. I'll change everything. No, you want them to have their, their opinions and their challenges, but you can definitely get a sense of the openness of like, oh... I never thought about that, or that's interesting. Let's let's discuss it, or let's think about it. It's 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 being more open, positive energy, openness, that type of thing. Init initially, from like you read the script and then you start discussing it. Right, but so open, but not a pushover. Like you don't want right. them to be to say because I see this in commercials all the time because the directors almost never write the script where. The director is just like, I'll do whatever you want me to do. You don't like this wardrobe? I don't like it either. Like, let's change it. And that's, yeah. that's, a, scary, that's a scary thing for a producer to be, you know, involved with because that's not what you want. And I think I've been really fortunate, you know, when I was mentioning, like, the idea of, like, seeking out certain filmmakers and, and uh, going to film festivals and you were talking about the, the whole indie vibe or indie world. It's like, I haven't worked with any writer-directors that I didn't like. And... And Lucky not only you. that, I know, and I'm, I'm sure that it will happen, but um, I've worked with a lot of friends, you know, like where I was like, again, with Augustine Frizzell, we were both actresses and filmmakers. We produced each other's short films. Then I produced her feature. I, the, a short film that I um, produced that's playing Outfest this week, the writer-director produced my short film. Like, it's been very collaborative as just like, I like to consider myself like a storyteller, and so I've worked with other like writer, director, actors, producers, like, you know, in the indie film world, you're kind of doing everything. Um, and then a lot of these writer directors I've started to work with have turned into my best friends. Like I've just been really fortunate, you know, that these relationships have cultivated like that. Well, you spend a lot of time together too, making a movie. It's, you're really getting into the trenches with somebody. So yeah, for me picking somebody, it's yeah, that trust, that openness to collaborate because it really is a collaborative process. Um, and somebody, yeah, that's, you want to spend time with it. They're a leader and not like a dictator, you know, you have to have that energy that's going forward. But again, it's very collaborative. So, well, let me ask you this, uh, maybe Mary Pat, you can answer first. Uh, have you ever worked with like a writer director? You feel like you had this great experience together and then they go on to make their next movie and they don't bring it to you to produce. Does that make you bummed? Yeah, <laughs> it does, and it has happened. Um, you know, it's, uh, in my experience, it's just been a timing thing. Um, you know, I, uh, I'm not going to be specific about it, but um, a film that I made not too long ago, another director that I had previously worked with literally started production on their movie the exact same day. So it was just a timing thing. And I can kind of chalk up most of it to timing. I mean, most, I, I'm, I'm embarrassed to admit that 
I have exactly one friend that doesn't work in film and TV, and that's my husband. And oh, man. And the minute I met, I met him, I was like, friend, I need to though, fucking right? marry you because yeah. you don't do this. Um, or we're going to work. Um, I have the opposite thing. So. I know, you really do. It's awesome. Um, which is great. I mean, you know, I dated a ton. I mean, we don't, let's not lose time in talk, talking about my 20s. It's a very dark time. Um, <laughs> no, I'm laughing because, like, I worked with true. my ex, and now we're not together. So there's all spectrums you of You get this. the whole gamut, yeah. Yeah, um, but yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, what I look for in a director now is not what I looked for years ago. Like, How has it changed? It's evolved into double-checking that they don't have an ego because I think a lot of the time, especially in the courtship phase, I think people are really good at selling themselves. You have to be. That's how you get anywhere in this business, right? I'm terrible at it, but everyone around me is very good at it, and so I just hang in there. But I think that it's... um, you know, you don't really know who you're getting into bed with until you're in bed. Like, and even on, I've, you know, I remember day one of a movie with someone I had made another movie with, and I saw a totally different side, and I was oh, like, oh shit, like this is gonna be so much fun. Let's do another 19 days of this. Um, what, were there any factors that changed? Like, what brought the? Um, I the think beast there had been time between movies, and fear had set in, and. Um, you know, it's it's tough because I really think that you have to be like a very nurturing person as a producer. It, it's just like you either have the ability to do it or you don't. Like I think there are people who are just naturally um, in it to support someone's vision and like to creatively challenge them. And and sometimes people um, think they're ready for that, but they're not. And um, there can be personality clashes over. Like you know, for me, I'm always excited when I'm working with a director who wants to surround him, himself or herself with people who have more experience, and are, aren't afraid of that. You know, actually welcome that, want that challenge, want to be like pushed to the next level. Um, and I think you know, it's um, so. I would say loyalty is important to me um, as I think about, especially since I've been developing a lot more television. Um, just like attaching myself to future projects because if I'm going to bring my experience to your inexperience, we're dancing. And if, if that's not the agreement that we're both coming to, then I don't know what I'm saying yes for. Yeah. That makes me this is totally off script also, but when, I think a lot of times when people are pitching movies and TV shows, they bring it to like some agent or some producer and they're like, oh yeah, well I have these three other producers attached. And everyone tells them, like, oh, that's a bad thing. Like, the, an agent will be like, well, can you get rid of these two producers? Because we got this bigger producer. Like, um, is that a thing that you've experienced also? Like, in, uh, can you talk about Is it bad to have a lot of producers on your project, I guess? I mean, I think there's have? such a thing as t- being top-heavy for yeah. sure. Um, I'm certainly cognizant of it when I'm packaging stuff. And it's very seldom that I come to a project that already has people attached at that level just because uh, I have a certain way of doing things and... Um, I do know to investors that seeing four producer fees feels like cumbersome and maybe not necessary and what did those people do? But, you know, every once in a while there's something that was developed before you came on the scene and I want to be respectful of the people's time, you know, and um, certainly have a number of things where I've made friends on projects that were already attached as producers and consider them super close. So, like, I don't think it's... Um, I just think in the business, like in the business place, it's not necessarily like a great thing. And certainly, agents will tell you all the time it's not. But I feel very fortunate that I'm kind of on the other side of it now, where I'm not the one who's being asked to get the fuck off the project. You know? 
Right. But with anything, like with your budget, you want the money to go on screen. So I think we all come from a place of how do we make that happen? How do we save? How do we, you know, consolidate? How do we just, yeah, put it all up? And sometimes in the beginning, like if you're starting off as a filmmaker, you, you, want, you need someone to believe in you. So that's so important of getting that first producer to help you go forward. Because a lot of times, as like um, early on, as a writer-director, you're also kind of producing your own thing, and you need someone to come on board and help. Yeah, that's, a, that's something I just want to highlight um, very quickly, that I think that directors um, need to be aware of. Um, you are producing your project until it gets to the, to the start line, and, and even all the way to the end when yeah. you're delivering. Like, hang in there and stay with the people and finish it. But I think it's, um, you know, I think there's this, uh, I guess, like, misconception about what, like, everyone around me is supposed to be putting this together. Take it's like, no, actually, me. we're all in this together, and you benefit the most, so do some work, you know? Yeah. Especially in independent film. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think there's this, like, giant misconception. I hear, like, kind of new filmmakers always have. They're like, okay, well, we got this movie, we got this script, and I have this producer, and now we got this amazing casting director, so they're going to attach name talent to our project, and that's never how you attach if name talent. If only it was that easy. Yeah. yeah, and it's it's the usually the director or the, some relationship and ex, much more producing work from the director who this actor is going to have to trust that is required before you can attach people like yeah, that. Yeah, it's still your baby. You know what, what I'm realizing just kind of in talking to the three of you is that producing is kind of a unique thing where there can be more than one. There's a lot of you. There, there can be. There's the potential for that. Um, talk a little bit more about the ways in which uh, you found yourself in that position and the ways that you like to collaborate, I guess, basically. I guess if there are other cooks in the kitchen, if there are other producers, right, like if you maybe come in a little bit later after things have been developed or, you know, there are other circumstances where other people have to be on board, how do you weather that storm, I guess is what I'm asking. I mean, in my experience, I am generally starting the project, so it's who I'm bringing on, and I try and always bring on producers that supplement my skill set, so we try and not have overlap. Um, so we try and be economical about that, but I haven't come on to a project with producers on. Where there's too much overlap. Yeah. yeah that makes yeah. sense. I, yeah, I've done both. Like, but it's like, I don't think that there's been overlap. Again, it just, every, every project is so different. And so if you have a project that doesn't have very much money, it's time and resources. So then you have a few more people on board to help, you know, get the, the film made and you're kind of as a team a team of producers but again that's very like indie film world um, I'm working on a project right now that I'm, I'm on it and we brought another producer on that I wanted again you know someone to help with this but kind of in that m mindset that growth mindset of like who's someone that has the same um, vision but that brings a unique perspective to the table and who has like maybe a different like that I could learn from like you know that, that I looked at as being like above me that like so I've had it both both um, ways where I've brought on producers or that that to help but then also brought on bigger producers that that could help elevate the project I think the truth is that it takes a village yeah. and um, the instances where I've worked with other producers has mo mainly been in the arena of additional financing um, and a few instances yeah. where it was like bringing in a producer who had a big name, who had yep. a certain relationship that they were going to bring to the table that pushed the thing over, right? Um, but I think it's like anything, I, I, you know, you just have to be um, 
honest about like I've I've gotten really good at saying like what do you care about? What are the things that you think are really important? And what what will you be upset if you're not included on? Because I'm I tend to, and, and it sounds like you guys are in the same position where it's like you're the lead producer on these films. So I always want to be respectful and say like if you care about casting, let's talk about you. Let me know if you care about giving notes on the script. If you care about and I'm coming out of television, so please mind like you know the gap, this two year gap I've had, but. Um, I think it's just about making sure people feel taken care of, you know? Um, and often, at least in the last, you know, indie movies, so often you're giving up a capital P to people who truly just brought in money. Right. Even though they should yeah. take an EP, right. they really want to produce. Yes. So e- Even when we were putting together this panel, we, like, texted our, like, filmmaker friends, director friends, and be like, hey, what about this producer? We looked him up on IMDb, and they're like, well... He's a producer, but he didn't really do it. He didn't really do it. Yeah. God, I hope no one I'm ever says that about me. Yeah, so we, we, brought, those, we brought those three people on. You passed. I hope they didn't have homework. They well, did. So you guys are of, all punked right now. Speaking actually, of financing, but... let's do a quick lightning round, starting with Liz. What's the minimum budget you would make a movie for? That's, I mean, honestly, I'm working right now on a short film that's got a decent-sized budget for a short film, but the project is so unique. The director is so amazing. So I don't like to, I don't like to have boundaries. I don't like to put myself in a box. $100,000? Would you make a movie for $100,000? I mean, I have. Yeah. We all have, yeah. Now, do, do, do I... Are those days really tough? And, like, am I still looking for... Like, am I looking towards the future and, like, going up? Yes. But um, no, I just, I don't like to put boundaries on stuff. But I mean, again, you need time or money, you know? Right. Because it has to be good. Yeah. Uh, my number's three million. Um, <laughs> no. Uh, <I'm> t- <laughs> That's what we're looking for. I mean, I really, I, I, I think that. But no, it's, it's seriously three million. Yeah, but I think it's, I think it's three million. Um, no, I don't, I think I agree. It's like you can't really, every, every story deserves a different amount of money. And so you can't really pigeonhole yourself into like I'm never going to do another hundred thousand dollar movie it's like I said that to myself five years ago and I'm overseeing two right now like how did I get here I don't know right. uh, I felt you, the director one us, more time can you name I us know, two totally. elements that determine how much money a movie needs not the only two but just any two I mean like so when, when if people here are like writing scripts trying to get their movies made what are the like the top three things they need to look at in terms of determining how much money they need to do a good job on it I think the scope of the story, right? Like, you know, you're yeah. not, like, kill the action sequences um, and don't try to make it with a A++ star. I don't know. I mean, I think, um, I hate even answering questions like that because it's like, you shouldn't, your story shouldn't be, you should never be thinking about budgets when you're starting a, a new process, right? Like, when you're sitting down to write a story that's, like, burning up inside of you that you have to get onto the page, I hate the idea of you like stopping yourself from well, that, that, really that's seeing. That's the answer. Yeah. Then, right? The answer is it, the budget is whatever the budget well, needs to it, be. And yeah, it is what the budget needs to be. And you may not be able to direct that first one as a writer, but m- maybe. I mean, I. And there are also I, different I, versions of every movie too. Like I'm working on a movie right now that there's a way to do it low, and there's a way to do it you know, with music and with, you know, the whole scope of it, how it should be. So every project is specific and every project has different routes. And it's like, they're all snowflakes. It's like, how do you make it versus not make it? So you have to kind of assess all the elements. And, and I do, like, my philosophy is to encourage, if we're talking about, like, up-and-coming filmmakers, mm-hmm. is to make a film. 
short film feature, just like, again, just shoot it. Exactly what your, your podcast is called. Get your hours so in. So if yeah. it means thinking about, I can shoot it at this one location and make it like, that really helps cut, cut down the cost. I do, there's, an, there's a world where I believe in that. Like, yes, you should be creative when you're writing and not be thinking about certain things. But at the end of the day, if, if time is passing, time is passing and you want to make a film, go out and make it then be cognizant you do of that. You have to be And get your friends yeah. together and go, we're going to make it, you know? Yeah, I mean, there is this kind of indie film mantra of, like, write to your resources, you know? Especially for your first one, yeah, yeah. Yes. for sure. Yes. Yeah. Actually, um, a show of hands, who here is thinking about making their first feature? Just so we know. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. So about half of you guys. Um, so show me number of fingers. How many millions do you have raised right now? <laughs> no? Okay. Hey, I saw some numbers. There you go. I don't know how to phrase this question, so the answer is short. But like, how do you, for first-time filmmakers, how do they raise money for their movie? Like, do you have any tips? Like, how have you guys financed first movie? Like, Augustine Frizzell made, right? Never going back. Yeah, um, that was her first movie. That was that's a very interesting story, and when I tell it, um, people are like both fascinated and like, oh, that's really cool example of like filmmaking lessons. So we shot Never Going Back, a feature based on some money that we scrounged together and then like a, like a fu- crowd funding and Kickstarter a, campaign. I think she got a grant from the and state we did, of Texas, we did, right? we did get a grant from the Austin Film Society and we shot the feature and we weren't happy with it. So we cut it to a short. It premiered at South By and we reshot the entire feature. And the second time around when we shot the feature, we brought on more, I guess, you know, more people, recast, you know, and things were elevated, I guess you'd say. And again, that was still, pri- we, we raised money in private equity, like, but again, through like people we knew in the film world and. And with the firepower of a short that premiered at South By. Yes, summer. and then also this is after a ghost story. So, you know, David Lowry, her husband, successful filmmaker. We were film. I was a co-producer on a ghost story with his team, and so they were on board. You know, the never going back. So that really helped open certain doors and so forth. But the idea that we shot a feature and then cut it down to a short and reshot it shows like kind of perseverance, the dedication, the learning. Um, but again, it was like the first one was a rush. Like we rushed to it, and it didn't turn out as well as it, it should have and completely learned from it. Like, that's, like, a huge learning experience for both hers and myself. Um, and then, like I said, it was... The first one was, like, nothing. Like, 30 some thousand dollars we made the feature on. The second one, still, we were nominated for the, the Independent Spirit Award for the John Cassavetes Award, which is a film under $500,000. So that shows you that it still was a micro-budget. Um, but, you know, again, it was just through the, the filmmaking context and resources that we had. So is there, there used to be this idea that you have to find, like, rich dentists to, like, give you spare that money. Is that still something? Mary Pat, Jana, do you just start a multi-million dollar uh, influencer uh, company? <laughs> What's the best move? I mean, I, in my experience, it's really been reach out to every single person you know that's ever made money doing whatever they made money doing. Um, plus... Uh, and I don't know if this... Wait, and when you reach out to them, what do you say? Give me money. 
No. I mean, Do you say I have an opportunity? Yeah, of course. I mean, you have to put together a business plan and be like an adult about it. Um, and cer- certainly it helps to have, you ha- at minimum have to have a short film, whether it's uh, derivative of the feature or whether it's an original concept that s- shares a similar tone. Just something that expresses to the investor, like, we're capable. We know what we're doing. Trust us. We're going to make you your money back. You have to, I mean, I'm not going to go through like, you know, the 40 pages of a business plan, but, you know, you can't ask for uh, several million dollars without backing up with bios and a budget and schedule and a, a key team that people can go, oh my God, I, I, I do know the things that they've worked on. I believe that they're going to be able to push us over the line. Um, the idea of like a strategy and I guess I am going to go through all and, the 40 and, pages. And you need those things even yeah. for a $100,000 movie. Uh, yeah, yeah well, that's 50, the truth. Yeah. You need that document or no matter of... what. Um, but are you taking that document to people you know within a first or second degree relationship or are you taking... Yeah, or, and yeah. I think and also what I was going to say is that you know I also partner often with the indie film financing department at the agencies and they're very helpful for whatever reasons, whether they're just like front of mind or whether they represent the director or one of the lead actors and, and kind of cobbling together with them like this list of bull, you know people to hit because there are only certain, you know, there's only so many numbers, like there are only so many companies that are doing uh, a certain level of movies. Right. So, so how does that work? You like tell William Morris Endeavor like, hey, we got this script, we got this director, we need money and they send it out to money people? And it says a big WME on the cover? If they care about it, yeah. I mean, they have to obviously love it and believe in it too, right? Um, but I do think that uh, agencies are in the business of serving clients, and there needs to be some connection for them like to really like you know be able to go into their bosses and say, I'm going to take the time that it takes to get this movie financed. Because um, the first question is like, okay, so who's this, you know, who from WME is in it? Uh, you know, the answer right. has to be insert actor here, right? Right, but, George Clooney. But then also certainly crowdfunding. See, I mean, yeah, and, and there's lots of grants out there. And then the other thing I think you should keep in mind when you're going this more like indie film route is think about who would be interested in this story. Because it's, it's reaching out to obviously people you know, people who care about you, you know, certain people that have the, the means to invest some money. But then also, who would want to see this story told? Like, think about that, because then those are the people that are going to give you money, not because, oh my gosh, I'm hoping to get this return on the investment. They're going to be doing it because I think this is a story that needs to be told. I want to see this out there. Right. But also, for you first-time feature filmmakers, you can do it for a really low bar. Like, I my first film premiered at Slamdance, and I've subsequently programmed for Slamdance, and I see first-time features all the time. And it's amazing what you can get away with if we care about your characters and we care about what they're doing. The, the uh, technical proficiency doesn't have to be through the roof. And so you, you just have to do it. You have to really trust in your story and go for it. And you can, you'd be so surprised with you know, your DP friend who needs their first feature credit and your, you know, your network of people who you're growing with, like who you can call upon to support you, not from a financial standpoint, but from a you know, career standpoint, from a um, you know, getting Resources, their hours yeah. in standpoint. Emotional standpoint. Yeah, absolutely. Totally. <laughs> the whole thing. But, you know, don't be burdened by, you know, reaching the $3 million mark on your first feature. You could no. do it for so, yeah. Now, what if you have a friend that, like, knows Julia Roberts' assistant or something? Does that help in any way? 
like show of hands how many do you know do those connections like get you places or is that kind of not really a first feature type of avenue to take i'm as a creative producer, whatever outlet, whatever avenue you can call upon, call upon, I would say. Um, you maybe know. another way to say it is, or ask it, is there, um, are there instances where maybe there are kind of um, favors that people can pull that are so big or out of that first feature league that you decide not to pull them? Do you know what I mean? Like, because we all know we only have so many times you can go to your right. rich uncle or ask Julia Roberts right. to be in your movie or whatever, right? So if you're making a $50,000 movie, a $100,000 movie, do you not call Julia Roberts in that I, circumstance? I think the, the reality of that is if Julia Roberts is in your movie, it's a completely different movie. Well, what so, if you just write some VO for her? Great. And then <laughs> have her record it on her iPhone Julia, and email you, it to you. you know <laughs> and Julia she can Roberts? EP the film. I think it depends on the, the, co- the connection. Like, how strong is the connection if you use it? Is it like, I know that person, or is it, they do have a friendship? And then, two, I think it goes back to what you were talking about. Like, you have to have something to show for it. No one's going to do, uh, you know, like a big name is going to do a, a first-time feature without seeing anything that they've done before, whether it's a short film, a music video, something that, they sh- that, sees, that you can see that they've got talent and that, that they're going to be in good hands. They just want to feel like they're in good hands. Awesome. I want to transition to talking about talent for a second, but before we do that, I want to point out that we have a gentleman in this front row that finances a very high-budget independent film, so uh, he randomly came to our podcast recording today, but you should talk to him after, after we record. Wow, no pressure, bro. He did Tolkien. Yeah. No pressure. Uh, what was the other movie you did? Shape of Water. Wow. I haven't Never heard, heard of it. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, uh, well, cool. So, so on that Thank subject... Thank you for supporting talent. independent film. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> On the topic of talent, though, like how, I think something that Matt and I have seen a lot lately is you can kind of attach like B-list talent to your movie, but not A-list. Does it, at, at that point, does it matter at all that you're attaching someone, or is it better to just like attach an amazing actor that's inexpensive? I think it all comes down to whatever the budget is, to be honest. Um, I think that there's still as many ceilings that have been broken through, like the reality is there's still a little bit of a formula to the international sales piece of it. So um, even even like the, if you get a John Claude Van Damme or Tony Danza or something, that well, might, those guys are still they yeah, right, have a ton that's of what value. I'm saying. They yeah. might be make your movie a million multi million dollar movie, even though in America they're not. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, to back up for a second, I think that you need to cast the right person for the movie for the right reasons, right? Like, I I think that's one of the biggest pitfalls when you start to put together your first movie where your financiers are telling you that they want a certain, like, there are five people that they're going to invest in. If they're all wrong for your movie, don't make the movie with those people. You're going to regret it. Like, there's... But Jennifer Aniston has so many fans. The amount of VFX that you would have to... I think that's a really good point, though, because I've seen, like, in programming on the flip side, I've seen films that have name talent, and they're completely wrong for it, and it's not going through, and they should have just done the movie with the people that, you know, they wanted to cast. It would have been a better movie, so... Yeah, it's too well, the goal always has to be what is best for the film. Yeah. Because if it's not, it's never going to do well. People aren't going to respond to it. And that's ultimately what you want. But could um, you say that what's best for the film is like a $2 million budget, which you get based off this? Well, it, again, it it's all depends on what the goal is. Because if it's an independent filmmaker and they're wanting to show that they're talented and they're trying to sustain a career, it's not about making one movie. It's about trying to establish yourself as a talented storyteller 
so that you could have a career and a future. And in that case, you know, if the, the talent isn't right for it and p it, the film doesn't do well, that doesn't really help you even if it had a big budget. Mm -hmm. Right. That's a great takeaway. I want to just ask Jana real quick. Is this uh, your ride? Uh, I, I want to hear more about your Tony Danza, Jean-Claude Van Damme movie. We're right? always putting out fires. Yes, I do yes. say we're yes, firefighters. Yes. Oh my God, that is true. Um, Here we are. No, but Jana, you obviously have a history of working with people who are giant celebrities online, right? Like influencer. You made a movie called Internet Famous, literally, just to describe I did, what yes. you do. It's a mockumentary kind of spoofing the YouTube culture, which so needed I, to happen. <laughs> I'm sure you've been in a situation where people are like, hey, you should cast this girl. She's a makeup vlogger. She has... 8 million people that watch her yeah, stuff As soon as day. they start adding like stats of like, oh, this number of followers. What's your take on that? I think that they, there are people that use the platform of YouTube and social media because they are interested in, um, you know, acting or being a personality and they're using that as a means to uh, kind of present themselves that way. And then there are other people who don't have an interest in film or television and are just doing it to do it. And I think navigating between those two um, is really important. So with all the films that I've cast with influencers, we've always auditioned them and we've taken the time to get to know them and they are all interested in that path. So I think you can't just kind of stunt cast it. That's never going to work out. But if you can cast somebody in the same way, casting a name can help elevate your project, can help bring an audience to your project, can help market a project. Those are all valuable assets. But at the end of the day, if they're not right for it, it's going to sink the whole thing. Well, and, and, so. and correct me if I'm wrong, but Internet Famous came out so long ago that like the idea of an influencer, influencer movie was still pretty new. Do you know what I mean? Like people had it was ahead realized. of its time. Exactly. Matt, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, that's what I'm getting at. Um, but so you kind of had to convince people, like, no, these people are famous and they are going to bring value in a different way. Absolutely. I was actually. We made a couple movies back to back that all kind of had influencers leading the films, and we kind of went from three different companies and made their first version of these movies. So we had to kind of yeah educate. We were consulting for another company at the time, explaining what this world is and how this works. So. It was really, yeah, it was... Uh, so everyone stole your idea, is what we're saying. Basically. Yeah. <laughs> no. But is it easier to get, like, a Logan Paul than it is to get, like, a Jason Biggs? You know, like, uh, you know, someone that ha already has this giant built-in marketing plan without you having to do anything? It, for some reason, I think there's this idea that influencers are easier to just buy. Than Not necessarily, though, because a lot of influencers are coming at their content from they are doing everything. So they're the EP, they're the creator, they're, you know, the talent. And so bringing them into something that has this whole team of people behind it, a lot of people aren't comfortable with that. So making that transition is, a, is an art in and, of, in and of itself, like having that trust with certain people. Because um, a lot of people don't want to relinquish anything. Um, because w if you have complete creative control, why would you want to give that up? Um, so that was a really interesting transition for a lot of people we've worked with. Just kind of building that trust in those relationships and saying that this is a collaborative thing and they wanted to work with us on it. Right. Liz, how did you get Casey Affleck for a ghost story? Because of David's relationship with them. He worked with both uh, Casey Affleck and Rudy Mara beforehand. And I think that's 
I think that the through line of what we've been talking about a lot is it's all about relationships. Whether it's the producer relationships, the relationships between the producer and the writer-directors, the relationships between talent, between agents. It's, I really feel like this whole business is about relationships. And a lot of these don't happen tomorrow. It's like planting seeds that happen like in the future. And you just keep cultivating friendships, relationships, collaborations, and that's what leads to stuff in the future. And Mary Pat, I want to ask you, if you're a first-time filmmaker, how important is it for you to have a relationship with agencies, like Hollywood agencies? I mean, I'd love to. I think it's pretty important. I think that you, um, but to, to back up for a second, I would say... You were going to say... We're I all... Think. No. <laughs> you don't know me. No. Um, I would say we're all strangers until we're not, right? And um, I really think it just comes down to... Um, because I don't want you walking away and being like, oh, I don't know anyone who knows Casey Affleck, and I don't know if I'm going to make my movie. Cause well, you know Liz. Now you know Liz. She'll hook you um, up. Exactly. Plant the seed. Yeah. Go talk to Liz. After. <laughs> it's just that easy. Um, no, I, I think that, um, I think it comes down to, obviously the material has to be great, because um, it just does. You should never make a movie that you don't believe in the script, and it, it not don't even start it at 90 percent. Like finish, like get it to 100, and then you can start talking about even trying to get it to cast. But I think that the script speaks for itself. I think a personal letter from the writer director goes yes. a long way. I think that's imperative, Huge. and I really think as much as I love casting directors and I have great relationships with all of the, the best of the best, it still comes down to hustling. Like I. I'm going to give a little piece of advice. Like, use the phone. It's, like, such a crazy, archaic idea, but you can ignore email after email. But when someone's calling your office, like, look, I'm obviously shameless. I'll do whatever it takes to get somebody to read something. And I can point to, like, 12 actors that I got having zero relationship with their agents, but just, and managers, and just, like, continuing to call, continuing to follow up, hitting them from other directions. Like, yes, of course, if someone had... If someone knows Julia Roberts' assistant and she, like, believes in this, I mean, sure, great. But, like, I think going to the source, these, like, gatekeepers, although most of them are just human beings who want to find good work for their clients, so, like, don't be afraid of them. Um, what's the worst thing they can do? Like, say no, say I'm down the phone. Like, you'll get over it. Like, Everyone's if, looking for good material. Yeah. People don't slam that, phones anymore. Just say so you no. Know, it's like, you're just like... <laughs> I'm aging myself. Um, yeah, I mean, I know it, it doesn't really ever happen like that. I mean, people are really respectful. Um, very seldom have I gotten, like, an angry pass. I mean, but I think that, you know, you have to be patient. Like, that's... I think that's something that people, you know, first-time filmmakers are like, oh, it's all going to happen quickly. It's like, no, get, get comfortable. It's going to take a minute. Um, it takes a really long time, especially for actors who are in demand, who know that they have the green light power to get through the stack of scripts that are sitting on their desk. Like, be patient and... And don't get discouraged if you get a pass. It doesn't, it doesn't mean it's like your material is shit and you should just like move home. No, like get over it. Come up with the next idea. The right person always says yes. You know, and I look back at some offers we've made on movies in the That's past where I'm advice. like, oh my God, that person would have been horrible. Like, what were we thinking? You know, and you just have to just trust like the actor knows what they should do. And if they say no, it's for a thousand reasons. And who cares what they are? But the person who says yes, that's the person who is supposed to be in your movie. Yeah. So it may take six months. It may take a year. It may take, like, you know, scrounging up their cell phone. I mean, don't call them on their cell phones. Don't do it. It's bad, bad advice. But 
everything short of that and like throwing a script over like their gated fence, like you really just have to kind of. And you know, I I think that I with believe the, writer, the pizza delivery put in a box. There you go. Is a better move. I mean, I actually kind of feel like that would be charming at this point. Yeah. Maybe with some weed. I don't Call know. Back. But I think that if. Um, I just think that even, you know, yes, like you should rely on your producers who have the relationships to be hounding the reps, but also as a director, like be bold, reach out to that person yourself and say, I'd like to take you to lunch so you can, t- so I can talk to you about my vision, especially if you're not repped. I mean, it's a Wait, great but opportunity. If they're like, if they're making like $20 million a movie, who pays at when the check comes? It's definitely you, lunch? dude. It's definitely you. Okay. Yeah, I know. Stone it's a bummer. Yeah. That's you'll why get, I don't you'll take, get all, but that's time, why I haven't taken Julia Roberts to lunch yet. <laughs> I'm not going to pay for that. <laughs> Should we move into production for a second? Let's do it, yeah. Um, so you got a movie. You're going to make it. You've got some talent. You've got some money. How do you determine like, how many days you're going to shoot? And like, Can you tell us a little bit about choosing where you're going to shoot? Because I think that's a giant element in every film that people don't really talk about that much. I've been lucky enough to shoot all of my movies locally. Um, I think uh, if you can get a tax incentive for your film, amazing, utilize it. But there also is kind of a tiered system of if you are, you know, T, you know, tier D in a Atlanta, you're not going to get the best crew. So sometimes it behooves you to be local and use your team and you get more bang for your buck here. Um, but as far as call in favors too, exactly. Yeah. And you can also network is valuable. Yeah. And you can get day players to come in because they're local. They don't have to travel. You can get, you know, better cast. They're around. So that can be really helpful. Um, but yeah, as far as, you know, budgeting and scheduling, it's, I've made all my films for very small amount of time. (laughs) I think the first one was 15 days. The next one's 18, 18 and like 22. So, um, you can uh, kind of, reverse engineer it to be really economical. Um, and a ghost story, it. I think I counted there's like 12 shots in that movie, so <laughs> probably took like, what, a week to shoot? Um, no, it was longer than a week. Um, lots, of, lots of different takes. Um, but I think the thing is, is that you've got to think about that the location is a character a lot of times in and of itself. So where you shoot, you're thinking like economically, like if there's a tax incentive, what connections you have, um, you know, lots of, of other cities are, are interested in having films come there. So then, like, how open are they and how helpful are they to offer resources? But it's also, like, where where's the movie set? You know, that's, you know, and, and I'm, like, again, from my mindset, having filmed a lot in Texas, you know, there's a need for regional storytelling. There's a need for stories that come from different places, not just, like, the main cities. And so, you know, I'm definitely, like compelled to tell stories that are in different locations. Right. So green screen is what you're saying. Um, <laughs> let's, let's talk a little bit about actually, because I, I, think, I think that you three are so passionate and so creatively oriented, but you still sometimes have to be the bad guy, right? Like no matter how much you believe in... No, you let the line producer be the bad guy. Oh, there you go. So yeah, that's great. That's Perfect. my... Yeah. Well, there we go. We're done. Um, <laughs> is that seriously your move though? Oh, God, no. No, no, no. Um, Tell us about like when you have to make the hard <laughs> there's call. A little, I, there's a little bit of that. I mean, <laughs> sometimes they're my scapegoat. But no, most of the time, honestly, um, I mean, look, we're all trying to get the movie made, right? And that is going to mean compromise. It just, it's part of the game. Um, you have a vision, and it's, it's tweaked for a thousand reasons. The people you bring on, your actors, like, there's just, it's never exactly as you envisioned it, right? And hopefully it's better. 
hopefully it's more than you thought you could ever pull off, right? Um, but yeah, I mean, it, you know, it sucks to have that conversation where you're like, yeah, that 22 days you thought you were going to have, uh, it's going to probably be 18. And we're talking like three six-day weeks, sorry, enjoy your Sundays, you know? Um, I, I think it's just, um, as long as everyone's communicating about where, where, like, be transparent. Like, I've never not included a writer-director in um, the financing process. Like, don't, and this is another piece of advice, like, don't get into production when you don't have the script ready and don't do it before you have all the money. <laughs> yes, Like, don't so think true. it's going to, like, show up. Like, Wait, the do worst, you need all yes. the post money, too? Or? No, I mean, look, I, yeah. I've, <laughs> gone, I've done plenty of movies where it's like, get to the first cut and then go out for another round of financing. Yeah. Of course, like, totally support that. But, don't put yourself in a position where you're stressed about the money yes. because it takes you away from the actual act of making the movie Correct. and the movie suffers. Yes. People so feel it. Even so if you're true. like a great, you know, even if you're really good about protecting everyone, it just starts to find its way. It bubbles to the surface and then the cast and the crew don't feel comfortable. I mean, I really am only talking about one movie that I worked on and, and luckily like I was by the director the whole time and the other producers were chasing the money but it still sucked that like, you know, come Thursday morning we're like, hope the checks don't bounce like that's not that's not fun and it's not mm -hmm. cool and it's not fair to everyone who's you know carved out this time in their lives to be there for you and your journey and um you know at the bare minimum you have to pay them you know and and like you said about communication it's like if you're doing a good job as a producer you're explaining things so it's kind of like okay these are the choices like you want this this would be great but if we do that that means this so what what is going to best serve the film and you kind of go, go through it like so it's say. not like a bad guy because at the end of the day we're all trying to make the best film sometimes you might disagree on what is the best thing and then that just takes a little bit more communication to figure out what is really like you're still trying to get their vision, but be able to do it with the resources and means and finances that you have available. I think it's about coming to the table with solutions, right? Like anytime there's a problem, like we've all lost locations and sometimes like, like and the day before, which is a super fun fire to put out. But I think when that happens, it's not about like ringing the alarm and be like, oh shit, everybody, like we've got to like go back to the drawing. But no, it's like, we're going to offline, the handful of adults are going to hide and talk about it and come and then come and present options so that, um, you know, there are three p potential scenarios and they just, you know, there's just so much happening. It's like it, the, the days are so crazy. Like the last thing you want to do, especially if you're in the middle of production and haven't even begun yet, is like is add to that pile that, you know, there's so many decisions you have to make all day long. And so I think as like a good producer, you just have to come to the table and say like, look, I'm, I know you loved that school. We did too. They pulled some shady shit at the end. Here's what we're going to do. Like pick, pick one of these options. And yeah, there's blame a, the school. Often, uh, <laughs> often there's a, there can, you know, people behave differently to that kind of information. Um, but in the end, much like casting, I know this sounds crazy and maybe I just sound like I'm into some woo-woo shit and that's just not even who I am at all, but I, I think it's like it ends up being the best thing for the... Everything every does. Problem. It's so crazy. It's every, so crazy. It's so true. Everything ends up being perfect. Yeah, and it's it really does. it's a to get through, but it's exactly because as it should be. Because a lot of times, be. too, when you're kind of somewhat, somewhat feeling like you're pushed in a corner, 
you end up coming up with the solution that's creative that you never would have thought of and it's so much better. It's like those crazy moments, just like when they say like with acting, it's like the, the mistakes actors make in the moment, a lot of times that's what ends up being in the film because it's so real and so authentic and it just, it, it just it's so good. That's the same thing I think with just the overall filmmaking process. What's the phrase creativity is born from constraints? It's like you kind of need something yes. to push um, against and that kind of fuels you. You know what doesn't help con but. creativity is when the producer is like, we just trust in your vision. Just do whatever. But yeah, I don't, <laughs> I don't think that. that's a very good producer. Yeah. No. I, I think, uh, yeah, as a director too, the constraints, I'm like, oh, we have this location. And so now I can only film here because there's a staircase here and the light's coming from here. So I got to put the camera here. Um, but when someone's like, just do whatever you want. You can do anything, any location. Then I'm like, I don't know how to direct. <laughs> You're hired. But locations are a big thing. And like one of the main lessons that I've learned is like you go get permission from a location. You can even get like some agreement signed. But you're fi sometimes finding locations way in advance of shooting. Cut forward a couple weeks and they're like, what? What are you talking about? Oh, no, we have an event that night. I'm like, what? Like I will literally like continue calling and be like, okay, just checking in. Like even if you have the permission, you got the agreement, you still are just finessing it. That's just one tiny little random piece of information that I learned along the way of like locations because they're so huge. You have to work that relationship. A thing that I, I feel like I'm hearing also that I love so much is that it, these skills that you get when you start out early on, like the problems maybe change, but the ways that you solve them kind of stay the same, yeah. right? Like you, like coming up with three different solutions and then presenting that and like being ready with options, hustling really hard, all of that stuff just no matter what level you're at, that kind of continues to be the name of the game. And sometimes your, sol your last minute solutions I find are way better. Because if you're like, hey, I want to book your nightclub six months from now, people are like, okay, I don't think so. But if it's like, hey, is your nightclub available tomorrow night? Because we just lost our place today. They're like, actually, yeah, it is. You can come in. $5,000 that we wouldn't have or $500, whatever. 50, that also brings me to a really important thing, I think, and we were talking about this kind of before, but if you're making a movie, you kind of have to set a date, even if things aren't completely, perfectly ready. <laughs> you have to say, we are starting principal photography November 1st, 2019, and you get your crew together, and it's going to push a week or two or a month, yes, yes. <laughs> always, yes. but you have to set something and start going towards yeah. that. Because like if not, it's not going to. It's just going to no. be an open-ended, like, we're going to make yeah. a movie, we're going to make a movie. So the yeah. opposite of Mary Pat's advice of having everything. I think they were talking <laughs> about having money in the bank and doing this, though. Yeah, well, it's, 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 it's kind of like an in-between thing. Because it's, it's like different one styles. of those things where you don't necessarily have the money, but you're already, like, putting down, like, I'm going to make a movie around this point so that your your goal you have a specific goal you have a as, deadline as it? a deadline but if as you're approaching that deadline you don't have the financing no 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 don't keep going for like like yeah. you said you're going to push but you don't want to ever be like the producer who's crying wolf to like the agents either though too right like i mean there's this fine line between like throwing a a, you know, like throwing a, um, a dart at a bolt, you know, it's just like at a calendar and be like, now we're, you know, but I, because I, I definitely think indie film, especially within like the top agencies' walls, are like, it's a bad word, right? Like they don't, the first question always when you go to talent, if you're going that route, and I always go at least that route, I mean, I try every avenue, but I always include the reps just because it's just better business practices that they know what's being sent to their actors, and um, I think it's, it's always fun to be like, we got this to your super fancy um, 
client, um, and we're just letting you know, because um, then they're like, oh, I guess I have to read it, you know? Um, but no, I think- I'm accountable. Exactly. Um, I think it's just that you, you want to make sure that when, because the first question is like, is it financed, right? And I, and I think the difference is, you know, we're using the word independent film, and so obviously that means anything that the studio isn't making. But in my brain, I'm trying to speak from a place of people who are trying to make their first project. That's different than using, like, recognizable names or working with bigger sure. agents. That's totally. still an independent film. But, like, my thing of, like, say, saying set a date, that could be for your short film that's $5,000 or your feature, your first feature that you're like making super low budget with friends, that's where I'm saying like try to set the date and have a goal because if not, years are gonna pass and you're still like, I'm gonna make my first film. But I agree, if you're now working with Hollywood level agents and, and talent and whatever, yeah, you have to really be solid like because that's not good. Um, we should, just one final question about production before I move on. Um, another lightning round, let's see if this works. <laughs> We're clearly uh, not good at that. <laughs> can, you, can you think of one thing, it doesn't have to be amazing, but just one unique way that you saved a ton of money on one of your past projects? I've shot all over my neighborhood. Um, what I have found is when you need expen expensive locations that you can't afford, it's really good to have made friends with the people that own them. Like places I haunt, you know, going in and playing like that. We're dirt poor. Can we just come in under sure, sure. one night? Closed? So you mean like restaurants and bars yeah, and like, like neighbors? Using, yeah, like using your neighborhood and like forcing the community to support you. Uh, oh, you see me in here all the time. That's yeah. great. Yeah, I love that. I have a couple of things. I don't necessarily recommend this, but I've post-souped most of my features. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a lot, but it's uh, you save a big chunk, and when you're in production, that is the line item that can go. <laughs> um, and the other thing I'll say is, I can't stress this highly enough, but the cheapest way to, or the easiest way to save money is on the front end. Table read your, con your, your script, get your friends together, cut all the scenes that are gonna be on the cutting room floor that you spent multiple days filming. Just keep it really tight and get it ready to go on the front end because that is the time when you can, you know, you're not spending an arm and a leg. It's so true. All the stuff that you do in prep is what will ultimately save you a lot of money because it saves you time. But one specific thing um, that I've done on my films is have like um, an intern or a PA that will reach out and we'll have like a database uh, to get free food, um, both craft service and meals, like catering, food. And it's amazing when you're saying, hey, it's an independent film. This is what we're doing. You know, how many people really do want to help both like in numerous kinds of donations, but again, specifically with like catering, craft service, all that stuff, we've had like films be covered completely for that. And do you like tweet about them or is there any of sort course. of in-kind sort yeah, of we'll, trade out? Yeah, we'll definitely do that. And I imagine this works a lot better in Texas than in Los Angeles. Uh, probably. <laughs> although, although, although these companies, a lot of the companies are not just Texas-based food companies, you know? Right, right. But you will be surprised because from also a, like a product placement standpoint, you'll be surprised how many people are excited about the industry and you can reach out to them and say, hey, we're making this really cool project and then they can come by set or whatever and you can get a lot just from including people and spreading the word and they want to have a little bit of that, you know, film on their <laughs> roster. Right. Um, well, cool. So this is a op very open-ended questions, but how you've made your movie, it's done. It's pretty decent. Um, how important are film festivals? Do pickups. 
Yeah. Very, that's actually genuinely good advice. Like, if you don't feel great about your movie, make it better. Basically. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and a lot of, you know, it's good to schedule in your budget money for pickups because you're going to need them. 100%. And pickups, you mean reshoots, same thing, right? Yeah, additional photography or um, I would even say stock footage is another yes. little saving grace. Cool. And so, okay, so how you didn't get into Sundance or Toronto, should you quit filmmaking? <laughs> Mary Pat's nodding yes. Uh, no, of course not. I mean, you can definitely sell movies outside of festivals, but the truth of the matter is, in terms of getting eyeballs, um, it's really helpful to premiere at a prestigious film festival. It just is, and um, there's tons of press there. Um, everyone's clamoring to find like the next new voice. Like, there's a lot of excitement that surrounds it, and quite frankly, the deals that you make in a fest are far better than what you would make in a you know, outside of festival distribution screening. Um, I think it's just this sad, sad reality. Um, having said that, I think a good mo- movie finds its audience. So, you know, I'm, uh, I've never been on social media. I don't have Facebook. I don't have Instagram. I'm, like, real old school and private. Um, and I'm not good at this, but I've seen a number of people just promote the living shit out of their movies, and that helps it get wings and... You know, even I've had friends that have self-distributed and made a bunch of money on downloads. So I think that there's always a way to find an audience if the story is compelling enough. I mean, if it's just okay, as you described. Um, I said decent. Yeah, I mean, I actually think what I actually Are think. Are you guys what, wanting to rent a decent movie? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't it's think got so. Julia Roberts' assistant in but, it. Oh, but if you have if you have a decent movie, She's an actress too. then maybe the goal is your next one's going to be better. And I think going to film festivals is so good about making friendships and collaborations and learning from other filmmakers. It's, again, it goes back to like the relationships and planting seeds. It's like, hopefully you're gonna grow as an artist and get better. Most people's first film, whether it's a shorter feature, isn't the best thing in the world. If the, if the idea is that you are a filmmaker, storyteller, and this is your life, and you're an artist, and this is your journey, then it's that's part of the process, and I feel like I've seen so many filmmakers play the festival circuit, whether they premiered at a big festival or not. Eventually they do, but it's like the, the, the seeing other films and meeting other people, I think that stuff is invaluable. I mean, I met one of my closest friends in the world in a shuttle van at like, a, I can't even remember, I think we were in Kansas, like at a nothing festival. And yes. so I do think that there's something about like- We love you, Kansas. You're a great festival. <laughs> what was it? Say so we love you, Kansas. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, but what I but what Liz said earlier, I wish I hope that you guys actually take stock in the in the story about the knowing never going back. Um, I guess uh, you know the, 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 because I think I've I've seen so many um, features of friends of mine and I have recommended cutting it down to a short because I think that there um, would have been a stronger play for their next film if they if they didn't have such an ego about like, oh, I, but I needed to make my first film. It's like, yeah, but it can be a short that does well, you know? And, um, and, and these are like $40,000 movies, so it's like, they're basically shorts anyway, so just Seri- fucking cut them, you know what I mean? And, and after that happened, I learned about so many other successful films that I found out did that same thing. There's no way we would have premiered at Sundance and no way A24 would have picked us up had we had that original one first of all. But secondly, it did take like the perseverance because we spent a year doing rewrites on the script in order to get... The script was so much better. Like, And so it's, we, we went back and did that and that's why it goes back to like the story being so important. 
Well, I think Liz answered this for first-time filmmakers, but for you, who've all done a bunch of features at this point, what's more important for you for your next movie? Is it making a profit, or is it kind of making a mark? Like, you know, the accolades, I guess. I think it's very much, I like, liken it to the recycling symbol. <laughs> they, they're kind of connected. So I think you have to make a profit for investors at a certain point to keep making movies, but not for every film. I think every film has its own place. I've made films that have immediately been in profit before I've even made them, studio films. And that have distribution lined up, that it's not an issue. And I've made films that are completely financed by my company. And I've made films that are, you know, trying to work with better talent and kind of going that route. So there's, I mean, there's every version of it. I think it's kind of the collective, what you were saying. It's the, the career. It's not the, the one project. It's like... The journey. Yeah, absolutely. But they're very intrinsically tied, too. Yeah, because you want to be... Um, cognitive of like you're saying like paying back your investors trying to have them have a return on investment so you can make future movies but for me I always have to feel something like the story the script the filmmaker um, one of the most successful films that I've ever made was a kids talking dog movie but I and it's something that I actually was like a creator on like I, I they were my dogs I <laughs> acted in them I you have talking dogs Yes, they're so smart. Sorry, that's um, the worst but joke it, it, I wrote the script. Can you name I, drop this movie? What's this? this sounds amazing. I, oh, yeah, the, the, the series of films are called Adventures of Bailey, and they're with my two golden retrievers. And the first one we shot like in an exotic animal, a wildlife ranch. So there's like a baby tiger and kangaroos, and and I just I wrote the script because I was like a sucker for dog movies. And then through a horror film that we had made and we're distributing. This, this distributor was like, I'm starting a new distribution company, a small one, more boutique, and I'm focused on family and kids entertainment, and stuff with dogs does really well. And I was like, oh, I've got a script with a dog in it that I just wrote for fun because I like dog movies. And so I sent it to her, and that's what, how it turned into. So although it was like, that is like somewhat of like, you know, kids genre, um, like a commercial kind of thing. It really did stem from like or an organic place that I was like wanted to do it, and they were fun. It's crazy. That's know, awesome. Crazy. Well, just because we are uh, should probably wrap things up a little bit soon. Um, I wanted to try one more lightning round. <laughs> that was what? so bad. Third time's the charm. Yeah, <laughs> we'll do it this time. Okay, we'll just come uh, up with one word answers. A classic misconception that a first-time filmmaker has. You want to go first? That your Jen? film is unique? Do your... No, I, this is actually serious. So, I'm making films and programming films, and this is the beauty of making films, is that we are all so similar, and we're all so connected. And watching a movie, that's why we tell stories, to connect. Um, but your story that is so personal and specific to you, make sure you do your research and see what's out there. Because somebody may have made this film and worked with the same distributor that is your dream distributor, and it's already out there and people have seen it. So make sure that you are telling a story that you want to tell and that hasn't been told in that way, or that you're making it your way. Because, yeah, that's just, I think, super important. Be informed. That's good. Lightning, go. I mean, I think I, I hinted at it earlier, which is just that the, the process takes time and don't be disillusioned to think that it's going to happen overnight. If you want instant gratification, direct music videos. Cool. Lots of money in that. Yeah, be, be broke. Enough. 
And as I stated before, um, just that failure is not necessarily failure. That's where growth comes from. Well, cool. I guess, should we? So, I mean, I guess it's kind of a two-part question. Uh, one is, do you, what do you think the state of indie film is today, like in a succinct <laughs> response? Oh and, and, and how does that tie into what your, your next thing is for your own personal career? Two words, TV. TV, yeah. Yeah, TV. It's been nice. Um, yeah, I mean, I've been out of practice for the last two years, honestly, because I've been um, on two seasons of a show and having a baby and all the things. But um, I think it's a really exciting time for indie films. I mean, from what from my cheap seats, it seems like there are tons being made, and that should be um, inspiring and exciting. And um, at the same time, I imagine that's a little daunting as a first-time filmmaker because it's like, how do you cut through the noise? And I don't have the solution, um, but what I will say is that just fucking make a movie and, and don't overthink it. I do think do your homework, of course, my God, the worst possible thing that could happen is that you're making a movie that's already been made. Um, but I think you should also trust your voice and know that you're different enough to put your stamp on it. So even if it's a familiar story, you should still lean in. But I think that if you spend time thinking about what the marketplace wants and who's successful and even just, you know, like meeting with distributors, meeting with networks, and hearing about what they want. Like, don't let that influence what the story you want to tell. Like, if there's, if you have uh, a script that you love, make it. Just, just do it. There's no it good. Also, it takes so long to make movies that by the time your uh, movie, yeah, the cycle out, could be, yeah, right. yeah, it's like two to five years from now. So, um, I think it's a really um, interesting time. And I, like I said before, I think like good movies find audiences. So just make yeah, one. Yeah, I'm, I'm really, I'm, I'm really excited about independent filmmaking now and in the future. I think we're seeing such unique, beautiful stories from all walks of life, and I feel like, you're right, everyone has their own unique perspective and voice. It's just be bold, you know, break boundaries, um, be fearless in your own story. And the stuff that I'm working on now, I'm doing one that we're filming on like a Native American reservation. I'm doing another one about a girl in post-revolutionary Tehran. Like these are unique, specific voices. That's exciting to me. And I think there's definitely a place for that. Yeah, I think it's a also just my tongue-in-cheek TV answer, but it is an exciting time for the type of content that's being greenlit. Um, you know, diversity, and there's just a huge push for personal stories. If you can tap into, that's such a buzz, I don't know if you guys experience that, but in meetings, it's, if you can say this is your story, you're like already, you yeah, know, six expert. feet ahead yeah. of other people because you have all the answers because then you're indispensable to the project. Correct. And they can't, you know, they're like, what color was the door? Green. You, have, you, know, you know all the things of like the story. So... That's a huge thing. Um, but yeah, there's just so much kind of originality right now. Originality, yeah. yeah. Are it's any exciting. of you interested in a Chernobyl-style story about two white male podcast hosts? Whoa. <laughs> nope. That sounds amazing. What if I told you the door was green? <laughs> <laughs> Greenlit. <laughs> Greenlit. Um, well, awesome. So we have a segment at the end of our show where we ask our guests to recommend things. Woo! Go. Oh, that's Good job. Fun. That's fun for See? the live show, right? A little See, people, audience. there's a whole cult following for these two. Yeah, white I have no idea what's happening right now. Hosts. Um, <laughs> anyway, your question. Yeah, so for the live show, we try to be a little more specific. You, in the, the regular show, it's just like whatever you're into. But um, we thought, since you're producers, it would be interesting to find out if you don't, let's say you don't have an office and you need to meet someone, a writer, a director, an actor, what's your favorite place in LA to meet someone? 
for a meeting. I think the douchebag answer is Soho House because um, they have an awesome view and you always run into friends. Yeah, that's that. Uh, um, you don't they have need an the endorsement, category. You know I mean? um, um, but, uh, uh, Rita House is also a good alternative. I know. I'm, yeah, happy, I'm happy I to have been exposed to it. Um, I think the... Um, the spot that I, I find myself at like two or three times a week right now is Five Leaves in West Holly, or East Hollywood. It's just got like a super cool design. The food's really good. The service is terrible, but the booths are really cozy. Cool. Five Leaves. I haven't heard of that. That's it's yeah, from Brooklyn. Oh, yeah. It's, pretty, cool. it's actually really chill, unfortunately. And I, forgive me in advance if I offend any of you, but it's like right next door to the Scientology Center. So there's like a lot to look at. Can be distracting. Good yes, people watching. They are good looking Scientologists. Um, Gina? I, I really like uh, King's Road. Um, they have really good coffee. It's nice and strong. Uh, they don't really bug you that much. There's indoor seating and outdoor seating. It's kind of centrally located. On King Street. Yeah, there you go. Cool. Or King Road? It. Road. It, uh, yeah. Road, right. <laughs> cool. Liz? I don't really have a place that I would say is like what I'm endorsing because I. Um, I've bounced around to so many places, and it's has been more based on like the writer directors that I'm meeting with that they're like, oh, so here's a suggest place. <laughs> I've done that, but um, but I, I guess being you know because I'm still my base is still Texas. Like I go back and forth between um, Texas and Los Angeles, so I'm just constantly still getting recommendations. Um, I will say I did meet a filmmaker recently at the Henry in West Hollywood on Robertson. And I thought that was kind of cool because it had like the restaurant area, then it had a place where you had coffee. And it, it seemed like a great place from like day to night. Like you could like meet somebody for a meeting and then maybe meet somebody for a drink later. So it, that was kind of a cool place. But it's not like I go to one place regularly. I'm, I'm still, I'm also like going to lots of people's houses, yeah. which in some cases are really nice. Like some yeah. of the other people I'm working with. I'm like, let's go to your place. Yeah. Rose Cafe is really good for the West Side, too. I don't know if I'm allowed to do two. I had a birthday No West there. Side stuff. You should have said Not that. I would have taken it for you, because oh. I didn't have one. Rose Cafe. Um, if you listen to the podcast, everyone knows I hang out at the Starbucks Reserve in Los Feliz. I think it's a great place to meet people. But I also like Semi-Tropic. I think I talked about oh, that. Oh, I love oh, yeah, Semi-Tropic. Semi-tropic. Um, Those guys are so there's great. There's this place, like you said, the food is horrible, the service is questionable, the parking is impossible, but it's called... <laughs> Solar de Coenga. Tell me more. On Coenga. Is that an endorsement? That didn't yeah, sound like an endorsement. It's just kind of central, and there's like a lot of couches, and people, you know, you can sit there for five hours, and no one will bug you. Yeah, I'm That's always good. looking um, for good, like, in-between the east side and west side spots, and I don't have any good ones. But uh, I like paper mini Paper plastic bar. is oh, kind of cool. Paper yeah, plastic paper is cool. Yeah. I yeah. tell you about my app idea, half and half. It's like it... You, you want to have a meeting with someone, you put in their address, your address, the time you want to meet them, and oh, it tells genius. you a coffee shop. Dude, you should invest that in is. this. Yes. Uh, that is a great idea. Well, mine is mini bar. I like mini bar a lot. It's like... Oh, it's so good. So good, right? Yeah. Also, very good for celebrity sightings. You see famous people there all the time. You Ooh. see them at Solar de Cuenca, too, though. Yeah. Like kind of the... Like B-list. B- yeah, B-list. Like uh, Kathy Griffith. Uh, C-list? Didn't you make a show D-list, about the D-list? dude. It was called Sorry. D-List. Sorry. Um, well, thank you, everyone. We're going to hang out for a little bit more, so if you want to keep chatting, we really appreciate everyone coming. And thank you so much to our panel. Yeah. And thank you to Rita House and Aqua Hydrate and Spread the Love. And you should uh, watch all these uh, people's movies and follow them on social media. Get to know each other. Everyone here has something in common. You all like uh, making films together. So uh, 
introduce yourself to people. Okay, everyone? Cool. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.